Good morning. My wife, Jen, and I host a, um, facilitate a community group on, on Thursday nights at our home. And so I'm going to be reading the, the, uh, the passage for this morning, Acts 10, 36 through 38. And you can join me if you want to read along out loud. Feel free. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know it has happened throughout the province of Judah, beginning in Galilee after the baptism of John, that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Amen. Amen. I'm just take it to the back desk. Good morning, Northview. Great to see you guys all here. And I am excited again to have the privilege to be able to share a little bit about Jesus this morning. Um, before we do that, I, I mentioned last week that uh, something we're doing with this fall series, and hopefully with all the series going forward, is some discussion questions with each one. And if you go on our website, onto the home page, right there, there's that blue box called Sermon Discussion Questions. But we also had a number of people, I've used a lot of quotes and other things, and asking to get access for those people pulling out cell phones, saying, can we get that? And so if you click on that blue box for discussion questions, and go to the next screen, you'll see there's sermon discussion questions at the top for small groups or for homes, and those are already up there. But right below it is sermon notes. And everything that's on the slides is there in just a version that you can just click there and get the entire slide thing, so you don't have to take a picture any longer. Each week, they'll be uploaded right there for you. And then the sermon discussion questions to use at home or with your family or your small group are just above that. So <laughs> just trying to help some people out. All right. Um, so we're in a series this morning, this or not this morning, this, I guess it is this morning, but this quarter called, Who is This Man Called Jesus? And two weeks ago, when we started, we looked at where Jesus came from, how Jesus is part of this Trinitarian fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and that all of them together invite us to share in the life and the fellowship that they have with one another, this eternal life, this abundant life that Jesus has called us to. And then last week, we looked at the humanity of Jesus. And specifically, we looked at how Jesus is no different than any other human being alive. He, he chose to come, and when he came, he, while still fully divine, chose to not access those divine attributes and live the entire human experience uh, for his entire life is that he was here. And, and if you haven't heard those messages, I encourage you to go back and listen to them, because that's the foundation we're building on as we head into the rest of the series. And so for today, the, the question that arises is, if Jesus is fully human, and he didn't access all these divine attributes while here, then how the heck did he do what he did, right? How did he not just perform all those miracles and, and walk on water and, and raise the dead, but how did he have the wisdom that he had? How did he have that relationship with the Father that he had if he lived the full human existence? And Jesus was really fully human. How did he do what he did? That's what we're going to talk about today. But often people, they, they, they kind of struggle with the reality of Jesus being fully human, as we talked about last week. Because if it is true that Jesus actually truly is fully human, and that he tells us then to become like him, that feels like a lot of pressure for us, right? If Jesus is fully human, he says, do what I did, live like I live, that makes us kind of uncomfortable sometimes. It can feel a little bit scary, and so well, most Christians throughout history have tried to say, nah, that couldn't be the case. Like last week, he must have been radioactive as a baby, he was superhuman, he did all this other stuff. 
I can't raise the dead. I can't walk on water. I, I, I can't heal the sick. Therefore, I can't do the stuff that Jesus did. So therefore, what he said must not truly be true. He was special and superhuman. That's why he had to do that. He's God, and we could say, and I'm only human. Right? That's a phrase we so often use to, to pass off everything we've done. I'm only human. You can't expect anything better of me. And that's why I fall. And many Christians grow up with an understanding that our humanity is just temporary, that it's, it's something that we discard at the end of this life, that we're, we're just temporary containers for the spirit, that God really created disembodied souls that will go on forever, but our humanity is something that will be discarded when we, live the, when, when we finish with this life. Because not believing in the full humanity of Christ makes my life a lot easier, it seems. I, I don't have to worry about actually doing what Jesus said. I don't have to take his words very seriously about becoming his apprentice and becoming a follower of him because, well, I'm only human. And it's this flesh is my weakness. This body is my problem. But what if our humanity is created in his image? What if God creates us and he declares our humanity very, very good? Right? Because those are the words of God. If we go back to Genesis in the beginning at chapter 1, in verse 27, God says, God created man in his own image. In the, name, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we're created in his image. And then he says a few verses later in verse 31, Then God looked over all he had made and saw that it was very good. Everything else that he created, the light, cosmos, animals, and all else he describes as good. Humanity, us, he describes as very good. So therefore, Jesus comes and he shows us the life that he intended for humanity. A life completely dependent upon the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're looking at today. That Jesus didn't only come to die for our sins and forgive us our sins, but he also came to show us what it means to live. What it means to have life, eternal life, that abundant life that he speaks of in the Gospels. So let's look a little bit at how Jesus lived the life that he did. In John chapter 5, Jesus heals this crippled man, and the Pharisees are angry because he did it on a Sabbath. And so he says this in John chapter 5, verse 17, he says, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Now remember, the Pharisees got angry at him for healing someone on the Sabbath, and Jesus' response is, my father is always at his work. So Jesus is saying, don't be angry with me, don't try and stone me, I didn't do it, my father did it. My father's the one that did the healing. And a couple verses later, he says this in verse 19, very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these. So Jesus says nothing he does is on his own. Nothing. Everything he does is at his father's direction. Everything that he does, from healing a man on the Sabbath to walking up to a leper that he should be running away from to hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes, everything that he does, he says he does according to the father. Now, a couple chapters later, in John chapter 8, verse 26, he's going to say this. He, being God, who sent me, that's Jesus, is trustworthy. And what I have heard from him is what I tell you. So Jesus is saying his words are not his own, they come from the Father. And then a couple of verses later, in verse 28, he says, I do nothing on my own, nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. 
The one who sent me, being God, is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. So again, he says everything he does, he does because the Father is with him, and the Father tells him what to do. Let's look at chapter 12. He says in verse 49, For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say, all that I have spoken. I know that his commands lead to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father told me to say. Notice any repetition here? Chapter 14, let's do one more. I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. I mean, there's more examples here, but Jesus makes it abundantly clear for us that all of his wisdom, even all of his actions, he is doing what the Father has directed him to do. He is completely dependent upon the Father. In fact, Jesus is the most dependent person that has ever existed in the universe. The most dependent person. Now, I know that sometimes for America, that sounds scandalous, being dependent, right? We're known for independence. When I've lived most, I grew up, spent most of my life overseas. And if America's known for one thing, it's our independence, right? That we will do this on our own. We'll pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. That I don't need your help. And independence can sometimes be kind of idle, right? When it's not, while it can be beautiful in some ways, independence, can, if it's not subjected to Jesus and to Scripture, can become idolatry. That doing everything on our own, not needing help from anyone, is actually not a value espoused in Scripture. Did you know that? <laughs> Independence is not considered that great of a value in Scripture, but dependency upon God is what is lifted up. In fact, the process of discipleship is learning how to become more and more dependent upon God, not ourselves. I love it in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16, he says this, he says, live as free people of God. But do not use your cover. This is a cover-up for evil, right? And that sounds great. Live as free people as long as you don't hurt anyone else. I mean, that sounds like our culture would love that. I mean, we could take that live free, right? We could grab a couple, uh, we can make a meme, grab a couple like bald eagles with talons sticking out, sticking on an American flag and say live free and post it on Facebook as a great meme, right? But how does the verse continue? Read the end of it. Live as God's slaves. Right? There's the beautiful paradox of Scripture. Live free as God's slaves. Right? That we are supposed to be, in our freedom, should be a dependency upon God. The great paradox is that to, true freedom is only found in dependency upon God, of surrender to Him. So Jesus lived fully dependent upon the Father, that even the miracles and the works that He does, He says, are not of His own. So John chapter 10, the Jews are trying to kill Jesus because he tells them that he and the Father are one and his sheep are his, he gives his sheep eternal life. And Jesus says this, he says, again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus says to them, I have shown you many good works. Where? From the Father. For which of these do you stone me? Again, Jesus says, these are not my works that you're seeing. These are from the Father. He emphasizes it again and again, that Jesus is the most dependent human being who's ever lived, a life in full surrender. Everything he did, he did dependent on the Father. He, he could have accessed all of his divine power and all of his knowledge and done this all on his own. He could have accessed all those things, but he chose not to, yet he remains fully divine. I mean, it's kind of like an old science experiment that you could do it like at a homeschool thing or with kids where you have a white light that 
shows white, but when you bend the light using a prism, right, what happens? It becomes a rainbow of colors. Because within a white light are all the colors of the rainbow, right? That's how rainbows work. It's the light refracting off of the droplets of the rain. And Jesus, being fully God, fully divine, all of those powers are there within him, but in this earth, he chose not to access those. He chose to live the fully human existence. Doesn't make him any less God. In fact, it makes it so much more amazing because he laid it down to show us the life that he attended for humanity, to not show the rainbow of all the powers that he had. And so that sounds great, but then how did Jesus actually do the stuff that he did? How did he know the Father's will and communicate so thoroughly with God? How, how does he walk on water? How does he know the name of someone he's never met? How does he have such compassion on his enemies or have the confidence of exactly what God is leading to do? Because he's fully human, how does he do those things? How does he become dependent on his own? Well, the truth is, he's not on his own. The third person of the Trinity is there with him, and that's the Holy Spirit. The empowering presence of the Holy Spirit is with him every step of the way, making the Father fully available to him at every second. The Holy Spirit empowers him to heal the sick, to raise the dead. But the same Spirit is also what empowers him to do good, to love the unlovable, to be patient when it seems impossible, to forgive those that are nailing him to the cross, to relax while having a meal with tax collectors and prostitutes, to be the kind of person that children run to rather than run away from. The Holy Spirit enables all those things because the Father is fully with him through the Holy Spirit. So what does it look like for Jesus to be empowered by the Holy Spirit? Let's go back to Scripture. Our opening passage this morning states it perfectly clear. Peter's retelling the story of Jesus, and he explains to me, he says, you know all this stuff. And in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, he says, how God anointed Jesus, this is what you know, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Jesus echoed everything the Father said. It is God who anointed the man, Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth is what this says, the human being. So what, is, what does Peter say that Jesus was anointed with? If you look at the passage, the Holy Spirit and power is what he's anointed with. And what did this man, Jesus of Nazareth, do with that Holy Spirit's anointing and power? It says right there, he goes around doing good. And healing people as well. And what does it say? How is he able to do these things? It says, because he is God? Because he accessed his divine powers? No, that's not what it says at all. What does it say? He's able to do all these things because God is with him in the person of Holy Spirit. Everything that Jesus did, he did under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And not just raising the dead, not just healing the sick, but it says doing good. So all the good that he did, all the ways that he loved others with a supernatural love that he could have never done on his own, he does through the Holy Spirit. John states it beautifully in John chapter 3, in verse 34, he says, for he is sent by God. That's being Jesus is sent by God. He speaks God's words. Jesus speaks God's words. He's sent by God. Here it is. For God gives Jesus the spirit without limit. Right? This is how he's doing it. It's the Holy Spirit empowering Jesus to do everything he has and without limit. So the Son of God, 
comes to earth and becomes fully human. And everything that Jesus does, everything we read about in the Gospels, every story is because he's fully dependent upon the Father, fully in surrender to him, and, and everything he does is empowered through the Holy Spirit. And again, not just the big miracles, raising the dead and walking on water, but Jesus spent the the vast majority of his three years doing things other than what we would call the big miracles. What was the vast majority of his time spent doing? It was being with people. It was going on long walks. Regularly, he walked between Galilee and Jerusalem and back, a round trip of likely around 150 miles or so. I mean, he was walking everywhere, and everywhere he goes, he's with people and having meals with people. And as he's walking with people, he's asking them questions, like deep ones, like, what is your name? Right? And why would he have to ask that deep question? Because fully human, he didn't know their name unless the Father or the Spirit revealed it to him. Right? And so he spent a great bit of time walking and at meals as well. In fact, so many of the stories in the Gospels are centered around meals as they are just central to Jewish culture. And one of my favorite stories of that is in Mark chapter 2 as Jesus is hanging out at Matthew, the tax collector's house. And it goes like this. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. They were reclining with him. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So what miracle is Jesus doing here? What great sign and wonder does he perform? How many people are healed at this event? None. He's just relaxing, reclining. I love that language, reclining. He's just chilling with the worst sinners in the city. And he's sitting back, and he's eating their fancy food. He's drinking their fancy wine. All of it purchased with stolen money from his own people. I mean, it's scandalous what Jesus is doing. And he's relaxing with these sinners, totally home. Not preaching, not giving a message, just hanging out with them, asking them questions, getting to know these people that they feel more safe with him than they've ever felt with any religious person in their lives. And all of it he's doing completely dependent upon the Father through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, doing good, as Acts said. He's loving the outcasts. In the midst of all this scandal and tension, He's extending the heart of the Father to them. So how is Jesus able to love like this and and do so much good? He tells us clearly it's through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit empowers him to be completely dependent upon the Father for full surrender. Luke's gospel just lays this out again and again. I want us to look at some of those passages. I mean, initially we see that Jesus was born through the Holy Spirit, right? The the Holy Spirit comes and and puts an embryo at his mother's Mary, so Jesus is born of the Holy Spirit. And then in chapter 3, verse 21, he says, the heavens, this is Jesus' baptism, right? The first major event of his ministry life. The heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice comes from heaven that says, this is my son with whom, with you, I am well pleased. So the Spirit visibly comes and rests on Jesus at his baptism. And then Luke tells us that immediately after the baptism, in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, and Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, where he was baptized, and then was led by by the Spirit into the wilderness. Notice twice in the same verse there, Luke emphasizes that his leading and his direction was not of his own, but it's the Holy Spirit that is leading him and guiding him in this time, giving him direction, showing him where to go. 
Just a couple verses later, we're going to see in chapter 4, verse 14, and it says, after that time, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Again, it's, it's almost like he's trying to say something to us, the author Luke, as the fact that Jesus is being led and pushed and guided through the Holy Spirit. This is how he's dependent upon God. He goes out of his way to emphasize this. And then we have his first recorded interaction in the next chapter, where Jesus goes to Nazareth, his hometown. And he speaks in the synagogue, reading out of the scroll of Isaiah. And he says this in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. God has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So look at what he is anointed by the Spirit to do here. Not just to perform great miracles, though it does include giving sight to the blind, but the first thing he's being empowered and anointed by the Spirit to do is to proclaim the good news, to tell others about his Father, about who he is, and the freedom that people now have of eternal life in Christ. To bring justice. Right? Justice is something that Jesus is anointed by the Holy Spirit to bring justice to the world and freedom. And all of this leads to one of my favorite passages in Luke, and that's in Luke chapter 10. And it says, At that time, Jesus, full of joy, through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Jesus says, I am full of joy through the Holy Spirit. His joy is even not of his own. His joy is being empowered by the Holy Spirit to bring joy that he's incapable of even of his own self. His joy is empowered by the Spirit. I love this picture of the joyful Spirit speaking his joy over Jesus, Jesus being overwhelmed by the works of the Father, filled with his joy. I mean, again, so often we see the, the, the Spirit, when we talk about Him, being like the big things, the casting out demons and, and raising the dead. But here in this passage of Luke, so far, we see that the Spirit empowers Jesus to, to decide where to go, to make decisions, to give Him direction, to care for the poor and care for the broken, to do good, to overcome temptation, and now here, to be filled with joy. The Spirit's doing all of this in the life of Jesus. I love it. And then another beautiful passage in Luke's other gospel, known as the fifth gospel or the gospel of the Holy Spirit. Some of you may know it as the book of Acts. Acts chapter one, he says this, I, write about, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do. This is Luke saying this. And all that he, teach, he was, was to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. And check this out. And after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit, the apostles he had chosen. So here we see in a summary statement of Jesus' life that Luke gives. And he goes back and he says, all the teachings and instructions that Jesus gave, how did he give those? Through the Holy Spirit. Right? That's how he had the wisdom and the, for the instructions of everything he did. So, again, Jesus is completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit. To live a human life that was empowered, or that was fully dependent upon the Father, to live a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. And next week, we're going to look at, at how he cultivated that life, where, how he was so dependent on the Father. And we're going to see not just what Jesus did, but next week, we're going to look at what did Jesus do in order to do what he did, right? How did he cultivate that life? But the reason I just spent the last 20 minutes looking at Jesus' dependency upon the Father and, and, his, and his use of the Spirit 
is because Jesus said, come and follow me. He said, look at me. Live your life the way I've lived my life. He did not just come to say, look at me and worship me. Look at me as I die for your sin and be grateful for all I've done. Well, he did say worship, but it's so much more. He came, he came so that we would follow his example. He said that he is a model for us. That we aren't just to worship him as Savior, but to do what he did. To be his disciples, his apprentices, his followers. To actually live in love the way that he lived in love. The Apostle John repeats this in the letter we studied this past summer in 1 John. He says, Whoever claims to live in him, Jesus, must live as Jesus did. doesn't get much more clear than that. If we claim to be in Christ, we must live as Jesus did, fully dependent upon the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And, and so often, Christians, it seems that we're far more interested in worshiping Jesus and singing songs about him than actually doing the stuff he did than actually conforming our lives to look like his and following him. It seems often that Christians would rather be angels, disembodied souls, than human beings actively aligning our life to look more and more like his. Oftentimes we see our humanity as a hindrance rather than the very purpose of what we are called or the very means by living out the calling of God upon our life. And then in his final teaching, before Jesus dies, Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to live. And they're freaking out. They can't imagine a life without Jesus. And he tells them this in John chapter 16. He says, verse 7, I tell you the truth, he says, it is to your advantage, meaning it's better for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He says, it's better for you. Now, can you imagine that? I mean, Jesus has been with them for three years. They've given up their entire lives for him. They are devoted to them, and he's about ready to go back to his father, and he says to them, I'm leaving, but this is good news for you. Do you think they saw that as good news? Absolutely not. They were terrified. They're freaking out. They're thinking, how could this possibly be true? Nothing could ever be better than you, Jesus, standing right next to us. How can you say that anything could ever be better than you physically being right here with us? And Jesus says, oh, you don't understand. My Holy Spirit being with you is better than that. Right? And they didn't believe him for a second. So what about us today? Do we believe Jesus? Ever heard someone say, imagine if Jesus walked in this room right now. Imagine if Jesus walked in and, and sat a seat in the front row of your church. Imagine if he came and, and sat at your dinner table today. Wouldn't that be amazing? What would you do different? How would that impact your life? Well, you know what Jesus would say is more amazing than him walking in physically and sitting down right in a seat next to us? He already told us. Having his Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus says is more amazing. That's what Jesus says is better for us than physically standing right next to him. He says it's for us to have his Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit makes all of Jesus available to us all the time. And the vast majority of Christians miss out on this reality. In fact, I think the vast majority of Christians are really binatarians and not Trinitarians. Meaning that we, we hold on to Jesus and the Father, but we just kind of forget about the Holy Spirit. Because it's kind of weird. We don't really understand him. Do we live like what Jesus says is real? Or do we live like he's lying? Or he was exaggerating, like it was just hyperbole? 
He didn't actually mean that it's better to have his Holy Spirit. That's just this kind of this funky thing that we try and talk about. Is this just a theological truth like the Trinity that we just mentally assent to that, yes, he said those things, but he didn't really actually mean it? Or is Jesus actually telling the truth? Can we actually take him seriously at his words and recognize and live like having the Holy Spirit is better than actually having Jesus next to us and that we actually lean into that reality and live the life that Jesus has called us to live? Because I don't think most Christians do. I think most Christians, we treat the Holy Spirit like it's the force in Star Wars or something like that, right? That, but there's a few weird charismatic Jedis who have a high enough like midichlorian count that they can engage with the Holy Spirit and do stuff with them. But the rest of us just stand back and judge those weird Jedis and charismatics, whatever we want to call them, right? We go back, we think it's just a weird thing. Because to us, it's, it's like a theological hot potato that we just toss back that we don't really know what to do because we're not in control and it makes us uncomfortable. But for Jesus, the Spirit is life. And He's calling us to embrace it. And it's just so sad the way that we don't live out this reality because we don't experience the life that God has for us. A life fully dependent upon God, fully in surrender, empowered by His Spirit, because it often makes people uncomfortable. And it, but for Jesus, again, that Spirit is life. It, the Spirit makes the Father fully available to Jesus. It, it, it brings Jesus incredible joy. It enables him to follow the Father. It enables him to pray, to, to make decisions, to love unconditionally, to chill with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes, to demolish to, uh, Satan's temptations and to respond to temptation, or to temptation, to love hanging out with kids, to, to sacrificially love the unlovable. So Jesus tells them, if you want to live in love like me, you need to tap into the same source as me. You need to do what I've been doing. This is why, right after being resurrected, Jesus goes and finds his disciples. Now, let's look at this, because this is important. The very first thing Jesus does upon resurrecting from the dead and meeting with his disciples is this story right here. John chapter 20, verse 22. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you to the disciples. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. But then notice what he does next. He doesn't just say that, and then he does this. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. How are they to live this life that God has called them to, to live the way that Jesus lived? Right here, he says, he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. You need to do what I've been doing, Jesus says. And so here, here is my source. I am fully dependent upon the Father through the empowering presence of Holy Spirit. It's the same thing he just said back in chapter 16. And now we're called to live the same way. As the Father sent Jesus, so now Jesus now sends us. And Jesus did not come to earth just so that he could die for our sins. If he did, the Gospels would only need to be one chapter long. Right? We only need a one gospel that just says Jesus died, he resurrected, and we know that our sins are forgiven. But instead, the vast majority of the Gospels are not about his death, but about his life. Right? For all of his life, Jesus came to show us the life that he intended for humanity. A life fully dependent upon the Father, fully in surrender, and a life empowered through the Holy Spirit. Jesus is called the second Adam. Why? Because the where the first Adam failed to live the God life that God intended for humanity, Jesus shows us the way. And he shows us the life that God intended for us. A great biblical scholar, Dr. Gerald Hawthorne, he wrote a great book called The Presence and the Power. I'm going to read a section of it. It's a couple slides worth, but it's so flipping good that I just want to read it in context, all right? So here we go. If indeed Jesus was God, 
having become truly human, obviously he is, if indeed Jesus really experienced the same kinds of things that all other human beings experience, suffered the same kinds of pains they suffer, felt the same emotions they feel, and all of this because he was a person filled with the Spirit. Now, obviously, all that is true. Then, if that's all true, then the followers of Jesus are faced with a stupendous fact. Not only is Jesus their Savior, but he is the supreme example for them of what is possible in a human life because of his own total dependence upon the Spirit of God. You get that? That Jesus shows us what is possible. Next slide. He says, Jesus is living proof of how those who are his followers may exceed the limitations of their humanness in order that they, like Jesus, might carry to completion against all odds their God-given mission in life by the Holy Spirit. Jesus demonstrated clearly that God's intended way for human beings to live, the ideal way to live, the supremely successful way to live, in harmony with God, in touch with the power of God. The Spirit was the presence and power of God in Jesus, and fully so. Thus, the life of Jesus was the realization on earth, perhaps for the very first time, of God's ideal for human beings, right? Jesus shows us the first time in humanity we see God's ideal for humanity, the fulfillment of the divine intention for them when God said, let us make mankind in our image. In Jesus, we see what that was intended to look like. But Jesus' life, and here's the kicker, Jesus' life was not only the realization of the ideal, it's not just that he lived it for the first time, it is the pattern to follow. The source of hope for every succeeding generation of Jesus' followers. That's us. Jesus is the pattern to follow. We must live as he lived. We must worship Jesus, yes, but so much more than just worshiping him, we must become his followers. We must align our lives more and more like his. We must live like Jesus lived, love like Jesus did. And the only way we do that is we're dependent upon the same reality that he is, upon the Father and the Son through the empowering presence of Holy Spirit. We must become his apprentices. So how do we do that? Well, that's what we'll be talking about over the next six weeks. Well, and, and far beyond that, as, as long as I'm here until I either retire or get fired, we're going to be talking about this, right? We're, this is where we're going, is looking to how Jesus did this and how we now live out this reality. Because Jesus makes it really clear for us. He took on our humanity to show us the life he intended for humanity. A life completely dependent upon the Father through the Holy Spirit. And now we must reorder our lives. We must reorder our loves to live in love as he loved. Another quote, this one by John Stuart Holden back in 1908. And he says it this way. In the spiritual, as in the natural world, there is a law which teaches that the same cause will under the same conditions produce the same consequence. Hence, under the same conditions of surrender and dependence as which our Lord lived his earthly life, same, con same situation of surrender and dependence, the same cause, the eternal spirit, the Holy Spirit, will produce the same consequence. And our lives can thus be like his life, in kind, though likely not in the same degree. Meaning that we have, we're also fully human. We are empowered by the Spirit. So we have the same cause and the same, <clears throat> sorry, the, the, the same conditions and the same cause and the same consequence, right? We are like Jesus, fully human, and we are enabled by the Holy Spirit. So therefore, we can do what he did. That's what Jesus is telling us. 
And far too many Christians, we've given up, up, up the idea of the abundant eternal life because we've said, ah, we're only human. We can't do this. That was Jesus. He was too different. And by getting rid of his, stripping Jesus of his humanity, we strip ourselves of the eternal life that he has promised for us. We've determined it's enough to just try and get by and, and get enough comfort and just another car or just a bigger house or whatever it is we need, and that'll be enough for me. Just comfort and safety. Because after all, we're only human. I mean, what more could Jesus expect? We're only human. But here's the thing. So was Jesus. The Spirit-empowered life, or, or the Spirit-filled life, as the Apostle Paul often refers to it, is not just for when we're praying again for healing, but it's the way of life that we are called to. Just like Jesus was dependent upon his Father through the Holy Spirit, we should be dependent upon Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Yes, to pray for healing when people are sick, but even more so to depend on him on how to love our wives or our husbands, to depend on him for wisdom in raising our children, to, for, to experience more of his joy, to, to help in, in crafting social media posts that we're posting online, to grow in our, in our creativity and our ability to code and design new websites, to grow in our ability to, to do pest control, Control, to grow in our ability to teach, to grow in our ability to care for our kids, to grow in our capacity to love others in the midst of retirement, to care for children that maybe in our adult age and our older ages have, have walked away from the Lord and we're so frustrated and trying to have patience and how to deal with the rebellion and all the negative comments they make to us. And we should be dependent upon God through the Holy Spirit of how to have grace and patience as a regular way of life. This is what Jesus has called us to. To, this must become our normal way of being, to live and love like Jesus, to be dependent upon him, surrendered upon him through his Holy Spirit. And next week, we're going to look much more at this as we continue, but I'd like to challenge us this week to, to adopt one of my favorite practices. And that's simply a way of cultivating a deeper dependency. In just the beginning stages, it's easy to start. It takes more than a lifetime to master. And I'm still in the baby stages of it myself after about 10 years. And that's just intentionally connecting with God throughout the day. Some call this practicing the presence of God, a term coined by Brother Lawrence back in the 1600s. But it's just simple to get started. It's just at least once a day. Take time out of your day, wherever your work is, if you're an accountant or a teacher or a parent or if you're retired, and simply take a few minutes in the midst of your day and ask to invite the Holy Spirit to come and direct your thoughts and your actions. Right? Just turn your mind to Him and invite Him to direct your thoughts and actions. Just, Lord, help me to love this person that I'm with. Or, Holy Spirit, give me patience with my child. Show me how to love them because I'm all out of love for them myself. Right? Just holy, whatever it is, you're getting to work, you just say, Lord, show me how to love this person, how to care for this person. Or maybe you're an accountant. Lord, show me how to make sure I, I don't lose track and stay detailed in this reality right now because I'm tired and overwhelmed. Whatever, maybe you're a teacher and it's like, oh God, show me, Lord, how to pour your love into these kids because I'm struggling because the way their body language is and their hoods pulled over their faces, right? They clearly don't want to be here. So Lord, show me how to love them with your supernatural love. Holy Spirit, show me how I can engage with what you're doing in this world right now with my neighbor who doesn't know you. The great Martin Luther said back in the 1500s, he said, to pray is to sigh. It's, a, it's to cry out to God. And I love that picture. That when we, every time we sigh, and we're maybe overwhelmed or frustrated, that that becomes our prayer to the Lord. Just, oh God. Whew, Jesus, I need you right now. 
every place there's a room for a sigh. It's just, oh, Lord, help me. I'm exhausted. Help me to love this neighbor. Help me to care for this person. Help me to see you in the eyes of the people I'm talking to right now. This has been a practice I've been practicing for the last 10 years regularly, while failing primarily more, more than actually succeeding. But even my few successes in doing this throughout the day have radically changed my life. That Every time I sit down for a meal, I look at the person next to me and I just say, Jesus, show me what you're doing in this person's life. Help me to engage with what you're doing. And I want to partner with you. And I just say, every time I sit down, every meeting I ever have with someone, oh, Jesus, show me what you're doing in this person's life. How can I point them to you in a deeper way? If it's not a normal practice, I encourage you to give it a try this week. You may need to put a reminder on your phone. For me, it's just whenever I find that tension in my heart or that sigh that's coming, it's just that reminder, oh, Jesus, show me what you're up to. Help me to love with your love. I want to finish just this morning with a quote from Dallas Willard, one of my favorite human beings. Uh, And he says, I'm learning from Jesus to live my life as he would live my life if he were I. I love that phrase. I, I, I don't want to act like a Jewish carpenter from 2,000 years ago. That's not what it means for me to become more like Jesus. I want to live my life as Je- Jesus would hit live my life if he were me. Right? I want to learn to love like that, to pursue the Lord in all circumstances and to experience his life and his love fully dependent upon the Father, empowered by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we worship you with all that we have, Lord. But we don't want to just give you our praise, Father. We want to give you our lives. We want to grow in our dependency upon you, Father. Ah, Jesus, show us how to become more and more dependent upon you. Help us to align our lives more and more like yours, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, help us to become increasingly aware of the reality of your presence with us. Prompt us throughout our days to turn our hearts and our attention back to you and invite you into everyday aspects of life from work and life and family and marriage. Like Martin Luther, may our sighs become prayers to you, Lord, and cries from our heart. Gracious, loving Father, we want to do your will. Help us become more dependent upon you.